0: All right. we're studying from the book of Jude in our Bible class upstairs, and we're down at verse number 6. That's where we want to spend our time tonight, most of our time. We actually introduced verse 6 last time, talked a little bit about some of the things that are there, and I said at the end of our study last week that there were several other things that we want to mention and talk about out of verse 6 that will be hopefully interesting to us and number 2 helpful for us as we study together from that passage. What we know is if we back up to verse number 5, we know that uh, the apostle, or rather the the brother of our Lord, uh, Jude, is writing about uh, uh, the the false teachers, if you will, uh, that were confronting the people. He had uh, intended to write a letter regarding the common salvation back in verse 3, but something was so important that he needed to address that. We've talked about that. He's talked about uh, some of the, the false teaching or false teachers rather that are going through. And what he's doing now is giving us some examples of those who had uh, disobeyed God and in, uh, which resulted in their punishment. And so he's bringing to mind, bringing to attention the fact that, that these people who are disobedient to God at this time are, are really no different than those in times gone by. Uh, that God doesn't simply overlook things like that, and as a result, he will indeed punish that. The first uh, in illustration that he gave is he reminded them of the children of Israel and the uh, the things that uh, befell them. That's in verse number five. He said, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so... We dealt with that and talked about it in a, a lot of detail, but now he's on that second illustration, uh, two of uh, second one of three, and he talks not about the people of Israel at this one, but he's talking about the angels. He said, "And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day." Now let's stop and talk about mention, I guess we should say, Uh, one of the things that we talked about last week. Notice that he said that the angels did not stay, English Standard Translation, in their own position of authority. We also noted from the King James Version that the translators there translated that section as, which kept not their first estate, and the New King James said, did not keep their proper domain. The American Standard uh, Version, one of the the most reliable translations, says that they kept not their own principality. And so what we're looking at that the angels uh, did, uh, their disobedience, uh, what what we're dealing with, has to do with principality, principal rule, comes from the word arche that is used there. And as we noted last week, Brother Wood said, it's a term descriptive of an office or a position. An office or a position. They left, or if you will, they did not stay within their own position of authority. Now, we can note all the way back in the book of Job, it seems that that one of Job's friends... Uh, I guess we could call him their friend, his friends. Eliphaz talks about, uh, mentions something at least. He, he he gets a lot of things wrong, but in, in probably what was the very first of the Old Testament books, at least in time wise. Uh, as as we look at that passage uh, in uh, Job chapter four, verse eighteen. Eliphaz says, even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. And so all the way back in the patriarchal dispensation, it seems that there was at least some idea, some perhaps knowledge of something that had gone on in regard to the angels and their sin, and Eliphaz mentions that here. Now, when the angels of God were created... What happens, it seems, is that he gave them, and, and we just briefly introduced this last time, he, he gave them a position, and he put some limits on them, evidently. He said, this is the place where you are to be. Uh, this is the position that you are to hold. And, and somewhere along the way, they, they left that. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can explore some things. It seems that Scripture indicates to us that there are, or were at least, different ranks, and perhaps even still are, different ranks that God had given the angels. Let's go to the book of First Thessalonians, chapter four, at verse sixteen. First Thessalonians, chapter four, at verse sixteen. And somebody, somebody, read that passage out loud for us. First Thessalonians, chapter four, verse sixteen. Whoever gets there first, go ahead and read it out for us. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All right, in First Thessalonians chapter four, we have the Apostle Paul dealing with the return of Jesus, the second coming, if you will. And when he comes, one of the things that he will be accompanied with is what? The voice of who? The voice of the archangel. Now, what is an archangel? If you had to explain that, if you had to give me a definition, tell me what an archangel is, how would you explain it? What would you say? What is an archangel? Now, I didn't say who. I said I said What? And we'll talk about a who in just a minute, but, but what is an archangel? Well, we don't have great details about what an archangel is, but we do know from the meaning of the word, the word that's translated or used at the first part of this. It's actually, the, the term archangel is a, a compound word, two words put together to make one. And, and so the first part, arco, arco, which means to reign, to rule over. And then the second part is Angelos, which is an angel. And so when you put the two together, you have an angel who rules or reigns over. Okay, an angel who rules or reigns over. It seems that he was given, uh, the archangel was given some kind of special authority, if you will, by, by Jesus. Not, not all angels, it seems, were archangels. But we have some who were given some special rule, special authority. Now, it's interesting that when we go back to our passage here in, in Jude, verse number 6, and the angels who did not stay in their own position of authority, the word that's used there comes from the, is very similar to, comes from the same root, uh, that's the word ArK. And so we've got the archo, which is the ruler, the ruling one, uh, the reigning one. Uh, idea, again put together when we understand it, it is one who has authority. And so when, when uh, Jesus comes, when he returns, never does the Bible say he's going to set foot back here, we'll rise to meet him in the air, we'll, we understand all of those things, but when he returns, one of the things that will happen evidently is that he will be announced by the archangel, by by an archangel and so as we see there uh, we we basically have one one thought being discussed but within the thought we have a little tidbit of information in regard to what we're looking at now look at verse number nine here in uh, the book of jude Uh, i think it's verse number nine when you drop down there what do you find Verse number 9. I can actually put it on the screen there. What do we have? But when the archangel, and now I can ask you who, because as we look at Jude's writing, he tells us the name of one of them. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said... The Lord rebuke you. Now we'll talk about verse 9 and some of the things that, that, that are uh, uh, taught in that passage when we get down to verse number 9. But what I want us to note right here is again, even within the context uh, of the idea of some of the angels uh, uh, getting out of their proper position, if you will, or, or going beyond their authority. What we what we have is is one of authority, evidently, who is mentioned even in the same context. But but what happened? These these angels, God gave them a position, God gave them a place. Did they not like what God had done for them? Did they did they not think that that what God had given them the the position that he had assigned them, the the rank that he had given them, did they not think it was good enough for them? Is that what happened? Again, let's mention and and understand the Bible doesn't spell these things out. All right, this is verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and it says it this way. Uh, But we're left to look and to, to see and to wonder if this is what happened. Let's go to another passage and look just a little bit and see if we can understand, maybe put some things together. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 at verse number 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3 at verse number 6. And again, you know how we do it in here. Whoever gets there. Not an obvious flesh being puffed with pride and fall in the same condemnation as the devil. Okay. Uh, who's under discussion here? Before we get to the devil part, who's under discussion? We're, we have elders, uh, the qualifications of elders that are, that are being discussed in this passage. And one of the things that he is not to be is a novice or what? A convert, new convert, someone uh, uh, new as it were. But, but why, is, why is it that he, the elder, or someone should not be appointed as an elder uh, who, is a, who is, as the King James Version puts it, uh, is a novice or a recent convert? Why? There's a possibility that he will be, what? Lifted up with pride, puffed up with self-conceit, as I think, the English standard, or with conceit, the the English standard uh, uh, translates it in that way. The word that's used literally means to inflate with self-conceit, to lift up with pride. And so, either of those translations are are, are very good translations. But but lifted up with pride, like who? Lifted up with pride, like who? like Satan himself. Was he one of these guys who, who thought that God assigned him a lower position perhaps than what he thought he ought to have? He had more conceit that he, he ought to be a little bigger than he was given? And again, we don't have, uh, we don't have everything that we would like to know as we were mentioning on Sunday night in answering the question that we dealt with on Sunday night, we don't always have everything that we would like to know. Sometimes we just get little snippets of things in God's Word, and sometimes those little snippets that God gives us, they're, they're pretty big. When we think about uh, the infinite wisdom of God and, and the way that He says things and just the little bits of information that He gives us, but it seems logical that if one who uh, thinks he ought to be at a higher rank, um, it, it seems to fit with what Jude is saying. And uh, I back up to verse number 6 on the screen. If uh, y'all will click me back over there. With one who uh, did not stay within his own position. And so as we look at it, we see, we see that. Okay? Okay. Now, let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 14 and let's do a little reading there because sometimes people will associate what is said in Isaiah 14 with a fall, a fall of Satan, okay? Isaiah 14. Let's read together verses 12 through 15. Isaiah 14. Twelve through fifteen. Who wants to read that for us? How are you fallen from heaven, O first son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the throne on the mount, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, at the farther side of the Lord. How far did you go? Uh, through 15. Then I would ascend above the heights of the clouds. I would be like the most high. You Yet you shall be brought down the shield to the lowest depths of the pit. Okay, let's let's stop right there and let's talk. If we look at what is said in the New Testament, it, it, it almost appears that when we see this passage here that he's talking about Satan, and a lot of people believe that, that, the, that the primary... Uh, emphasis is on Satan, but it also has another, and we'll see that in just a second. But, but you know, notice here how he says, I'll ascend, I'll ascend to the heights above and to the throne on high and so forth, uh, to the heights of the cloud. Uh, who really is this passage about? Who really is the passage about? If you just take what we read in verses 12 through 15... It would say, seem like, hey, you know, that could that could sound like uh, Satan and him being cast out of heaven. But drop back up to verse number four, Isaiah fourteen, verse four. Who is this about? King of Babylon. King of Babylon. Who? Do we know any kings of Babylon? One of them was. O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, was he not? And, and he was just one of the best guys you ever saw, wasn't he? I mean, he, he was so humble. Uh, uh, he was so humble, he wouldn't recognize God. He lifted himself up, and what God do? Made him get out in the field and eat grass like a cow. Uh, It says it's about the king of Babylon. Look down to verse number 9. Look at verses 9 and 10. And let's just read a little bit there. Isaiah 14, verses 9 and 10. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations, all of them will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. And so the picture that Isaiah gives us is is other kings who have already died. When this man who thinks that he is so high and mighty himself dies, they point out to him. You weren't any better than us. You were a man just like us. You've come to the same place that we are. He's not necessarily talking about Satan falling from heaven. Now, again, I said that, that there are those who adamantly uh, say, state, that, uh, that it had its primary uh, fulfillment in, in Satan. I don't see that. I don't know that. I can see some similarities to that. But I do know who he was talking about for sure because he mentions by, uh, by name the king of Babylon. doesn't call him by his proper name, but he calls him the king of Babylon. That's who I'm talking about in the section that comes there. And so I just wanted to throw that in just as, a, as another uh, added little uh, thought that as we go through and think about it. Uh, I came up with a little saying when it comes to things of this nature uh, we may speculate, but God did not see fit to revelate. Now, I know that last word is a made-up word. Uh, he, he did not see fit to reveal everything that we would like to know. We can speculate, but God didn't revelate necessarily everything that we would like uh, to know. Now, what else did the angels do? The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but did what? left their proper dwelling. The word translated dwelling is a, is a residence or habitation or a house. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here in Jude, verse number 6, and it's also used in Second Corinthians, chapter 5, at verse number 2, where the Apostle Paul says, "...for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling." Our heavenly dwelling, English Standard Translation. And, and so when we, when we look at it, the angels, one of the accusations against them uh, that's mentioned here is they left their proper dwelling. They, they, they didn't stay within their own position of authority, and they left their proper dwelling. Uh, was there rebellion in heaven Go to the book of Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. And it's interesting that we've already mentioned a name that will be mentioned there in Revelation 12. But somebody read that passage for us. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Okay? Is that an actual battle in heaven? Again, some believe that uh, what is written here refers to an actual battle. But when we're reading in the book of Revelation, what, what's one of the first uh, uh, first rules that we have to remember? The book of Revelation was written in signs, symbols, OK. When Michael and his angels fought, who did he say they fought? The dragon. The dragon. Was, he, was it a literal dragon that they were fighting in a literal war? Now we know that the dragon is interpreted for us here in this passage. We know that he's talking about uh, Satan. Okay. But, but one of the things that we do need to remember is that the book of Revelation was written in signs and symbols. And so when they, if there was some sort of uprising, some rebellion in heaven, we know the final result. They had, they had left their position of authority and they didn't stay in the proper dwelling place. And so what did God do? Back to the book of Jude. Because they left their proper dwelling place, Where did he, what did he do for them? He gave them another one, didn't he? And this one wasn't as good as the one that they previously had, was it? Because what does he say? He has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Yeah, he moved them out. He gave them a place. What does the book of Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 say? Matthew 25 verse 41. "Then he will say to those on his left, 'Depart from me, you cursed, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil All right. There's a place of fire, a place of punishment, a place of eternal punishment. And who was that originally prepared for? According to Jesus, the devil, and his angels. God moved them out. When they left their proper residence, when they left their dwelling place, God moved them out because of the, um, the, the, the sin that they committed. And remember now, that's what Jude is reminding these these folks of to whom he is writing. What else does he say about these angels? He says uh, they are kept in eternal chains. Think about that word kept just a little bit tonight. The word kept means literally, in the word that's used means to detain, to hold fast. And it's used some other times in the, in the New Testament. For example, it's used in the book of Acts chapter 12 at verse number 5. Acts chapter 12 at verse number 5. Who was kept there? Yeah, Peter in Acts chapter 12 verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. The angels are being kept and we'll talk about what they're kept in, but Peter was kept in prison. What about Acts chapter twenty-five at verse four? Festus replied um, uh, that uh, Paul was being kept at Caesarea. Okay, so he's he's being held. When Paul was in Caesarea on this occasion, he was also a prisoner, was he not? He had been arrested. What about Acts chapter twenty-five at verse twenty-one? Uh, but, when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody, remember the the uh, the, the thing that Paul uh, did, he appealed to Caesar okay, and so uh, he appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor. I ordered him, and so, as we look at it, we see the word being used in, in a sense of, of being held against their will they 're kept they 're guarded they're Uh, detained, if you will, against their will. Peter was kept in prison. Paul was in uh, Caesarea being kept. But how are these angels being kept? According to Jude verse number 6. They're being kept in eternal chains, right? Right? If we just look at the word chains, it means the, a band, a bond, or a shackle. Uh, it's interesting to me in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 28 and 29, that when Peter, I mean, rather, when Paul and Agrippa were having a, a conversation with each other, and, and Paul was teaching him the gospel. Uh, We have Agrippa uh, replying to Paul and said, In a short time, would you persuade me, Uh, English standard reading from it, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Then Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Except for these chains. And so Paul said he was being kept in chains. He was uh, in these, uh, some sort of bond or shackle or band. Uh, and, and so we have, we have that. But you know, no person on earth can bind someone in the way that God did. God bound these angels with eternal, eternal chains. The word translated eternal means ever enduring. In Romans chapter 1 at verse 20, Paul writes about his God's invisible attributes, namely his, in that passage, eternal power, his ever enduring power and divine nature. And, And so as we look at it, however it is that God has bound them he has bound them with eternal chains. Now, if you have an eternal chain, do you have any hope of that chain breaking? I mean, if it's an eternal chain, it's going to last that long, I don't see a way to get it broken. And so, there's no way for them to escape. There's no way for them to get away. God has bound them with eternal chains. Uh, but, but where He has kept in eternal chains, but he's not finished with the chains or or, or with the binding and where they are. Where are they? Under gloomy darkness. Under gloomy darkness. That's an interesting term. When we look at that word, it's translated gloomy darkness. It's only one word in the original language. And you know what? It's not just the word for darkness. There are other words for darkness. As a matter of fact, another word for darkness, the actual word that normally is used for darkness, is found in verse number 13 of the book of Jude. Look down to to verse 13. Notice what Jude writes there. Everybody see it? Jude verse 13. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The word uh, for darkness is used there, but also the word that's used previous in verse number 6, simply translated gloom, in verse number thirteen, now, now what does that what does that word signify? What is the meaning of that word? It, it's not just darkness; it's the idea of gloom, shrouding like a cloud, and means blackness, mist. I, I think what what we're being told here is not it's not just dark, but it's it, it's another layer, if you will, of darkness. It's another layer. Uh, of punishment, it's it's another layer through which these will never be able to escape. You know, if you could get out of your chain, how would you find your way out? Not just darkness, but 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 think now. What is what is Jude doing? He's writing to these people, these who are teaching or persuading the Christians wrongly, and. and He's telling them, he said, let me give you some examples. And he gives them the examples of the unbelieving Israelites when they had come out of uh, of Egyptian bondage. And now he is giving them the example of the angels that God is punishing, will punish. And and, and so when, when it comes to the punishment, do you think you'll ever be able to get away from it? They are bound in eternal chains under the gloom of or gloomy darkness. Now, how long are they caught there, if you will? How long are they being kept there until the judgment of the great day? Until the judgment of the great day. We just read a few minutes ago, Matthew chapter twenty-five. At verse number 41, he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so if we have them being reserved, what seems to be implied here if they are reserved at this point until the day of judgment? That it's then that they too will have judgment passed upon them. And it's then too that they will find their eternal. Uh, dwelling place just as those who have been unfaithful will. And and so when we look at it, God said I've got them chained up. They're not going to get away. They're not going to escape punishment. They'll be there on the judgment day and they will have judgment passed upon them just like you who are teaching false doctrine. Not a good thing. Not, Not a not a thing that, that I would want to face. It's nothing that, that, that I would want to have a part in. And, and so what Jude is seeking to do is to convince them, hopefully, that they will repent. That they will turn back to the right way. Or at least that others will not be influenced by them. That they won't uh, be led astray. And so as we, as we close out tonight, there's no reason for us to get into the next verse. But as we close out tonight, if the angels who sinned did not escape the vengeance of God, then neither would the false teachers that are mentioned back in verse number 4 of the book of Jude. They're not going to escape. And just as the angels did not or were not able to escape the punishment from the standpoint that God is holding them, keeping them now, and God will continue to hold... um, Uh, as it were, in his mind, in his book, those who are doing the, the evil things now. That's illustration number two that he discusses. So we've got the children of Israel, we've got the angels, and then he's going to come back, illustration number three in verse number seven that we'll talk about next week, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities that are mentioned as well. All right, questions, comments? All right, our time is up.